This is Mitch. And Zach. Cutting in for a quick ask. If you're enjoying listening to our podcast, we want to thank you, first of all, for supporting this stupid idea a couple of friends had. But if you'd like to thank us for something that provided you with a little bit of entertainment, then please give us a like and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. And if you really like it, we would really appreciate a review and rating from you on your podcast platform of choice. Maybe you have some feedback, constructive criticism, maybe suggestions for movies for us to watch, or just want to drop us a line. You can slide in our DMs at dishingthroughdecades at gmail.com. But if you could do one thing and one thing only, we humbly ask that you share the dish with your friends. It's 2021, and there's no caring like sharing. It goes a super long way towards getting this podcast off the ground, and it would make a couple of dudes who don't know too much about movies or about food feel pretty dang great. That's right, Mitch. Help us spread the good word of our pod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time for another episode of The Dish with Zach and Mitch. Welcome to The Dish, a podcast about 90s movies where both of us don't really know much about movie production or food, but we still try and make a stab at both. I'm Zach. And I'm Mitch. How you doing today, Mitch? I'm doing good, man. It's, it's morning. We're recording in the morning. I'm watching you sip on your coffee. Well, it is 17 minutes until morning is over. Almost noon, and it's the earliest we've ever recorded, if that says anything about our schedules. We made it. We're sipping on non-alcoholic beverages, and we're ready to record about today's movie, which is Time Cop. That is the shortest marin we've ever had. Oh, no. We're not done yet. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just getting them ready, getting them in the headspace. By them, I mean us when we listen to this later. Yeah, usually we start recording at like, we get together at about 8 and then we kind of mess around, get set up, and we don't start recording until about 12. And we record till 4 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> we get like three or four hours of recording time, and then one of us, and by one of us, I mean Mitch, has to go through the laborious task of whittling <laughs> that down to about two hours. You know, uh, I was thinking about this earlier. We've produced at this point four episodes of The Dish, meaning roughly eight hours of content, and yet we have recorded for at least 16 there is untold man hours, and by man hours, I mean Mitch hours, <laughs> that have gone into editing. <laughs> I, I give you a, a text for a question here and there. I don't have any good excuses, man. You're like working on a PhD and stuff, so. But I am taking this one. I am going to edit this one. You're going to edit this one. So that was a fucking lie. Hence why I am glad that's a shorter movie. Hopefully we can get through it in a quicker time. That's why you're pushing for let's record in less than two hours. <laughs> wink, wink. I'll pass you the torch, Zach. If you really want to. I'll try it. I'll try my hand. I mean, I've, I've edited. You know, I have edited, mm. as you know, but I have not uh, shouldered an entire pod yet. We tag-teamed. Which one was it that we... Uh, I think we oh, tag-teamed. Oh, Red October. Red we October, Eiffel Towered yeah. Red October. We Eiffel Towered. <laughs> we both edited it from either end and then high five in the middle. I started at the beginning. You started at the end. Yeah. And then we met in the middle. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still working on Clear and Present Danger. At the time of this recording, about halfway through. I've only got about 12 man hours in it so far, so. Oh, that's not so bad. Nah. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I figured out the metric. It's 
it's only about half of a work week yeah for us (laughs) and our you know paltry editing skills or at least for me it's about one hour per 10 minutes of content that's jesus yeah i think honestly we've just got to get better at talking better at talking and better at editing what our viewers actually hear is a very very polished version of what actually comes out of our mouths and into the microphones it's true if ever we have a live show the truth will be revealed <laughs> well we can't have a live show until like five years once we get this all figured out yeah it's true once we learn how to talk better we'll get all once i learn how to talk good we got to get all five of our viewers together for a live show <laughs> It's really just you, me, and your wife. Me, you, my wife, and then like three of our other friends. <laughs> they can just watch us do this. And they'll just be on their phones the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have a yard sale soon. Okay. I know that's very off the cuff, whatever you want to call it. But my garage has been filling up with junk after helping my parents move and working on like seven projects. And uh, we have a storage room at my house that is more of a... You can't really walk in there front ways anymore. So it's time for a yard sale. Have you ever had a yard sale before, Zach? I have never had a yard sale. I have I can probably count the number of yard sales I've been to on one hand. Mm. I've been to very few yard sales. I love a yard sale. Just like I love the flea market and antique stores. Does it I feel lo- like it takes a lot of prep? Do you label stuff or it just lays out and you wait people for you to ask how much is this? And well, you just off the cuff say, ah, uh, $5. There are definitely different ways to go about a yard sale, you can just do the thing where you toss everything in the front yard and put up a sign or an ad on Craigslist. And then there's the way where you can like really prep, put an ad in the newspaper, do Craigslist, Faith Marketplace, get a shit ton of people coming to yard sale, which is what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to go like balls to the wall yard sale. I'm going to label everything, hopefully make some money because I have so much shit that I need to get out of this house. Are you turning our podcast into a ad, Mitch? Yes, um, viewers. If you would like, there will be a yard sale at Mitch's house in two weeks' time. <laughs> Come on down to Mitch's Odds and Ends Emporium at Fort <laughs> Raleigh, North Carolina. My God, you said my address on there. <laughs> so yeah, if uh, anybody's local to the Triangle area, then come on over and buy my stuff. I'll give it to you at a podcast discount, 5% off. <laughs> wow, what a generous discount. Well, speaking of doing work in the newspaper. That's a really bad segue. That's a super bad segue. From one, from, that <laughs> segues into one scene, not the beginning of this movie. Speaking of generous discounts, that being <laughs> the budget for this movie. <laughs> Let's do it, man. I, hop in your rocket sled. Let's go back in time. We go back in time, not to the 90s, but to the 1800s. The opening scene is Civil War area, area, Civil War era. We're told it's Gainesville, Georgia by a mini screen crawl, 1863. It's kind of a stormy day and a couple of mounted Confederate soldiers or generals, somebody, people associated with the Confederacy, right up to a dude dressed like a Confederate Van Helsing that's standing in the middle of the road. <laughs> Big Truly. old black like trench coat yeah. hat. He's stopping them. He he assumes they have gold and he wants their gold. Yeah, he's like, I'm a single person missing a couple of teeth. You are five cavalrymen. I would like you to please give me the gold now. 
I'd like to smelt it down and get a gold tooth to put in my hole, my tooth hole. <laughs> I need that cart of gold to fill this gap. <laughs> I guess he's just toying with him. You know, he has all the confidence in the world, but it's pouring down rain. He has no chance against these guys if he's from their time. Yeah, and understandably, all the Confederate dudes are like, uh, go ahead and walk aside. Like, you don't stand a chance against us. Yeah, we'll kill you if you don't move. And he has the confidence of an idiot in their eyes. But right when the Confederate soldiers start to pull out their flintlock pistols or whatever the technology of the time is, he pulls out these, like, laser sided Uzis. Uzis yeah, laser. And guns them all down. Yeah, great sound effects. Yeah, and they, they zoom real close on the lasers like, hey, look real close. This is not Civil War era gun. Yeah, they duct tape a couple laser pointers to the top of uh, some like Tech 9s. <laughs> I love that in this movie, any future gun is just a regular gun that's had something attached to it. But That's a lot of future technology in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Great opening, though. I thought this was a really fun start. It was. This man has impeccable aim. He's dual hip firing, and he he kills all five of the men on their, on their horses, but not the horses themselves. Nicely done. So we go from 1860s Confederate Georgia to current day, which in the context of the movie is 1994. Yes. And we see some sort of presidential aide or cabinet member or somebody convening a meeting with a few senators. And yeah. he's got something straight from the president's desk to talk to them about. Yeah, we're at the Capitol. It's the Senate Oversight Committee. And this very well-to-do man comes in and starts talking about someone who uh, has been doing research into time travel for many years and kind of staying off the radar. One Hans. You all remember Dr. Hans Kleindas? Insert German last name here. Some Werner von Braun type. Werner von Braun was an SS officer during World War II and led a team of German scientists in developing the world's first long-range ballistic missile. Yes, a real Jules Verne. Jules Gabriel Verne was a 19th century French writer. Anyway, he, he's been researching the time travel, and guess what? He figured it out. Time travel. Well, beam me up, Scotty. And this is a problem. Not only did he figure it out, he skipped apparently all development stages where you time travel little things first. He just figured out how to time travel people overnight. I'm only interested in, <laughs> in time traveling people. Screw apples. I want an organic being to go back in time. Yeah. it's <laughs> So he somehow figured it out and no one has known until he perfected it on people. They really dance around not saying anything about the technology. In fact, I think this the senator or whoever comes in, who comes in is like, I won't bother you with the details because I don't understand them either. Yeah. And so the aide kind of drops some doomsday scenarios because understandably the senators are like, uh, so what do we do? This, the aide tries to kind of like butter them up by saying, well, you know, like imagine if somebody went back in time and killed Hitler or something else that would like, you know, butterfly effect the rest of time. Could end humanity. Yeah. We need to create a commission to enforce this. Right. And naturally everyone's like, well, how much money is this going to cost? So. The idea is the president wants to create a commission to control time, to control time travel. And they're going to call it Time Enforcement Commission. The TEC. <laughs> and he's like, and I've got this guy right here with me, the New York City Police Commissioner, who we want to head it up, who is none other than D-Day from Animal House. Have you seen Animal House? 
I've seen Animal House, but do you remember the guy who like busts in the party on a motorcycle and rides up the stairs and oh, then like yeah. cracks a beer and hands it to a guy? So you've met D-Day. Good, you're having a nice time. It's good, good. That's D-Day. Oh. <laughs> That's this guy. I recognize this guy so hard. And yeah. I looked up his IMDb. It's Bruce McGill. He's been in so many things, but there's not one call in my head that I was like, oh, everyone will know him for this. There's so many yeah. little minor roles. I did the same thing. I was like, God, I know this guy from so much stuff. And then I, when I Googled him, I was like, oh, it's D-Day. Do you have a name for him? Let's call him D-Day. I didn't have a name for him. I was calling him Matuzak, but that's way more boring than D-Day. D-Day director. <laughs> director D-Day. Yeah, the, uh, the aide is like, we're pretty sure that there's already been a ripple because there was just an arms deal made using gold from the Civil War. So we got to make this commission quick. Yeah. And they uh, asked for a volunteer to chair the commission. Uh, D-Day's the director, but they lo they're looking for a Senate chair, like governmental oversight. Mm -hmm. Camera cuts to a man whose face is in half relief with a very dramatic light on half his face. Uh, it's a guy named Senator McComb. Anyone here want to chair the oversight on this program? Yeah, I'll do it. Uh, young Senator McCone. Why not? Oh, you like him, George. Very much like you, except his dorsal fin's a bit bigger. Big dorsal fin. It's like, <laughs> what? Yeah, that was a really weird <laughs> What like, a weird line. Yeah, yeah. It was, I guess, trying to emasculate him, but it was just read as really awkward and out of place. Yeah, this guy's an asshole. Let me say that in a very strange way. <laughs> we cut to... A young lady, attractive, 20s, 30-something-year-old, walking through a mall, and she stops to look at uh, like a clock store. She sees a bunch of ticking clocks, and there's a bunch of clock sounds. You and know, your average 90s mall clock store. Yeah, you see them everywhere. They really put those in there, especially when there's going to be a movie about time travel filmed in the city. Yeah, it's, um, this is a really subtle play about the, the, the plot of the movie. This is a movie of subtle plays. <laughs> a stage rear enter our extremely smarmy hero who comes up and basically like just overwhelms her with over slathered like action hero quotable love lines. There's never enough time. Never enough for what? To satisfy a woman. Then you never want to miss an opportunity. Are you busy? Yeah, it's like you just bone down in front of this clock shop. <laughs> yeah. And she kind of plays along with it, like, oh, I'm waiting for my husband or whatever. It turns out they're married. It's Jean-Claude Van Damme as well. Yeah. I, I see where in Fresh Prince they drop that line of like, Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> you know what, though? I feel like Jean-Claude Van Damme has a face for radio. Really? Yeah. Like, I think he's attractive. I don't know, man. <sighs> It's like he's too masculine. <laughs> oh, he's not ugly. He's just like too testosterone infused. I guess. I mean, I totally see the appeal. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, anyway, he's talking to his wife and then he looks off to the side and we see this super 90s rollerblader just rollerblading <laughs> through the mall with like a bandana on and sunglasses. And he's like, I'll be right back. And he walks over as this guy steals a purse. I guess he saw it coming. Somehow. And, yeah. And just, he puts his leg up above his head, like out in a kick stance, and stops the rollerblader. Read it. Wolverine, between the lines. 
I should get the fuck out of here. Good. You know that purse? Doesn't look good on you. It was so, so cheesy. And they do a, like a big panorama shot where you see the rollerblader standing there and Jean-Claude Van Damme's stance of his like leg way up in the air. It was a fun wide angle. It yeah. was, yeah. But this kind of sets the stage for what to expect for the rest of the movie. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, this is a Van Damme movie. There's going to be a lot of... He does of... splits. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's a... Wasn't he kickboxer or something he had to have been to have that level of flexibility he has a lot of background in the martial arts dealing with the legs i bet yeah, yeah. in the first 30 minutes of the movie he does three splits yeah oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and yeah one the in dude the bedroom then, say what and one in the bedroom <laughs> oh hey oh so the dude in the rollerblades gives the purse back or whatever somehow he saw it come in as he turns around, as Jean-Claude Van Damme is like, I did a good thing today. He looks up on like the second floor of the mall balcony or whatever. And he sees these guys that look like 90s bad guys. One of them has this extreme dual exhaust mullet that is amazing. Dude, that guy, <laughs> yeah. He was my favorite bad guy of the film. He's just huge. Oh, yeah. and he's wearing this like, you say 90s bad guys. I'd say they look like early aughts bad guys. You might be right on that, yeah. And it's funny because they're from the early aughts in the movie. They're from like 2004. <laughs> yeah. I think that if, if this movie got one thing right about the future, that being 2004, it was the shitty like Hollywood clothes styles that the bad guys have. Just shitty clothes styles in general from the early aughts. That was yeah. the baggy everything. Baggy everything, like frosted tips. Jinkos. Chrome sunglasses <laughs> that are like too cyberpunk smash mouth yeah. <laughs> smash mouth baddies <laughs> so yeah, these smash, smash mouth baddies see him and he looks up and doesn't think much of it and he looks away they looks back and they're gone yeah um and so john claude van damme is like yeah oh well i'm gonna go home and play some smash mouth yeah <laughs> go home and smash yeah, he, he goes back to his wife. They get a picture taken on the way out of the mall. It's still the first 10 minutes of the movie, but we get a sex scene. Yeah, a steamy sex scene with Kenny G playing in the background. Oh, was it? Well, I don't know if it was actually, but there was like some, some of that like the smooth saxophone music. Oh, yeah. Got to have the smooth sax. And we already have a nice like butt shot from Van Damme. There's some nudity in this scene. It's overall... An affecting sex scene, but it's one of those sex scenes where like she just sits on it and there's no motion. <laughs> like there, there's no there's no grinding. But they're covered in sweat. <laughs> I just wanted to mention too before this, oh, yeah. th they do some more like some not so subtle like time travel stuff because she's at the mall like I can see the future and I can see it's gonna rain and that you're gonna bang me later <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. And it's a rainy night when it, when this happens, and so they're in like a postcoital cuddle. And he gets a postcoital phone call, and it's revealed here that his job is very important because he has to go into a call at like you know two in the morning or whatever. Now, oh Jesus Christ! Can you find somebody else? And his wife is not happy about it because she wants to tell him something. He's like, "No, I've got to go." And so he gets on his police uniform. We find out he's a cop. For linearity's sake, it's probably good to mention in the mall scene. He was mentioning he was gonna he was considering taking the TEC job. Oh yeah, from uh, from D Day. Yeah, because that's yeah, yeah. his police commissioner, I guess. Right, and so w this scene kind of builds a little more. He was already a cop, but he's thinking of taking this like 
switching roles. A more government job. Um, by the way, I had actually written in my notes, J- JCVD gets a post-coital post post phone call. Post-coital post call. Post-coital call. God, that is a tongue twister. Post-coital post, call. Post-coital call. Post-coital phone call. Post-coital call. I have in my notes, gets a post <laughs> It's a post-coital phone call. Yeah, has to go. It's so easy to look at coitus while you're saying post and go post-coitus. Coitus. Post-coital. So yeah, he goes to leave his house and... Coitus interruptus. <laughs> he goes to leave his house and steps out into the rain and just gets decked by these uh, smash mouth baddies. And one of them grabs his wife and takes him inside. The other two are just like kicking his butt, pistol whipping him, knocking him to the ground. He's like looking up at the house because he sees his wife's been taken inside, and she's like up in the bedroom, and he's like all over her. And then the dudes are kicking his ass, just to like knock him down and double tap him on the chest to shoot him. He like wakes up because and he does the whole Hollywood like rip open, and you see he's wearing a bulletproof vest. He gasps. Vest. He gasps. <sighs> yeah, because I guess when you get shot, you just go unconscious and don't breathe for a second. <laughs> yeah. It's really great, uh, like feigning death action. If you, I mean. I guess keep that in mind if you're wearing a bulletproof vest, viewers. But, um, yeah, he gets double tapped in the chest. He gasps and wakes up, shows the bulletproof vest, and then he's about to get up and go inside to help, and the house explodes. Hollywood explosion. Fiery, fiery, like, triple explosion. Directed by Michael Bay. Yeah, Michael Bay. In, it says down at the bottom right of the screen. It's, it's like a Michael Bay watermark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... So yeah, and and it's raining, so you can't tell that he's upset about this. He makes like no facial expression. Yeah, <laughs> he just looks at the explosion and he just like blank stare. Yeah. <laughs> and while all those rubberneckers and looky loos stand slack jawed staring, the real men have the nuts to walk away. Yeah. Great rain, acting. The rain is my tears. <laughs> nice, nice, uh, nice accent. Nice Van Damme impression. Is he French? Swedish? Swedish. He's some okay. sort of uh, Eastern, not Eastern European. Um, Scandinavian? Scandinavian, yeah. Oh, okay. Jean-Claude Van Damme is from Brussels, Belgium. Maybe Scandinavians are naturally flexible. Perhaps. At least in the buns. Um, so Swiss rolls. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> you could eat some Swiss rolls off that table, that ass table. Yeah. <laughs> You could stick a spoon right in those buttons. <laughs> so we follow up House Explodey with Wife Inside with another asynchronous scene. We go back to pre-Great Depression, 1920s. It was like 1929. Some big wig looking guy is getting out of his cab, steps over like a, a body, <laughs> a jumper who jumped from a skyscraper, just basically steps over them. Is like, morning, Mr. Atwood. Morning, Charlie. It's a terrible day, sir. Speedy. Terrible. What's going on? Mr. Float Power. He went off the roof. Well, shit happens. Excuse me. Yeah, well, like, too bad. Goes into his high-rise financial office and pulls out two newspapers. He pulls out one... From 1929. Like, contemporary 1929 paper. And one from 2004? (laughs) Ten years in the future? Whoa. Um, and he's looking at like the stock page and he's like kind of circling, you know, one stock that, you know, he's looking at like the performance in 1929 where it's going to be in 2004 and he makes a phone call. He's like, Russ, hi, yeah, listen, 
I want another 100,000 shares of Middle States oil. No, 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 just buy it. It's an act of faith. I really think things are going to turn around. I got a feeling about the future. They, they really overplay the... This is someone manipulating the past because the, yeah. the camera just pans around the newspaper and he's circling things with a pen, like very obviously. It pans like 1929, pans down to the stock, pans over to the, the stock, then pans up to 2004. It's like, <laughs> what's he doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, just as the name of the movie implies, someone is messing with time and someone has to police it. Enter JCVD. Right after he pulls off this uh, exchange, the air in the middle of the room just starts to kind of ripple and you hear this like kind of distant screaming muffled noise. Yeah. And like you see almost like if a sheet of air was a cloth, it's almost like the air is stretched thin and you see uh-huh. like a silhouette of a body. Kind of like a T2 when it's in metallic form. Yeah, it's and like then a it T2 like, like water droplet yeah, or something. Yeah, and then he kind of like rips through it. I actually kind of enjoyed that special effect throughout the movie. I agree. I think that that was one of the best well-done special effects. It's very affecting. It's effective. (laughs) But there are definitely some inconsistencies in in the same way that they don't explain how the time travel tech works via science. We will get into that. Yeah, (laughs) there's a lot to get into about what doesn't make sense. But yeah, Van Damme enters and is like, hey, what's up, partner? What are you doing? (laughs) And... uh, I've got to bring you in for doing bad shit. And then Atwood pushes a little doorbell on the bottom of his desk out of the side of Van Damme. And two, like, cockney boxers walk in. (laughs) One of them has just the most English. He just looks like an Englishman. He's got a, a bowler hat and, like, a big curly mustache. And he tells him about how he fought somebody for like five rounds. Yeah, he does the whole like, hey, why don't you get out of here? Like he pulls his <laughs> pulls his fists up in front of He's him. He's ready for fisticuffs. Yeah. I went ten rounds with John L. Sullivan himself. <laughs> I saw Tyson beat Spinks on TV. And so Van Damme like two shots him. And then he fights the other guy, gets a little bit more involved. And but- he, he does a split at some point to avoid a punch. He like just oh, yeah. drops down full splits, which yeah. it, it's like the most breathtaking split I've ever seen. It really is. Van Damme's <laughs> legs in this movie are insane. He like he gets grappled by the other guy and then runs up the wall and like flips over him while he's being grappled. And then I think the other guy pulls out brass knuckles and then he ends up kicking his ass with like a, a broken light pole or something. It's It's a really fun fight. Lots of leg kicks. And I think it goes probably without saying that in a Van Damme movie, the only hits that count are the leg shots. <laughs> like, shoot that man in the legs. <laughs> or if you're going to handcuff him, handcuff his legs. Don't worry about anything He's else. like, uh, what is it, Eddie Gordo from Mortal Kombat? This man is all legs. I knew once I saw that split, this whole scene, there's a couple of parts, but once I saw that split, it was kind of the beginning of like, oh, it's this kind of movie. Yeah, that was the mall <laughs> scene for me where he was in like the fighter stance with his leg up. That too. Immediately, yeah. I was like, oh gosh, I've heard of Van Damme movies. I don't think I've ever seen a Van Damme movie the whole way through. I haven't either. This is my first. Yeah, same. We're real professionals at this. But yeah, he uh, he kicks the two guys' asses and then Lionel Atwood, he grabs like a future machine gun and starts shooting at Van Damme. The whole office goes crazy. Uh, papers are getting like shattered or shredded. 
everyone's running around with their arms up in the air, and uh, but he runs out of ammo without hitting him. And so Van Dam comes up and is like, "I gotta take you back, man." Doesn't look too good, Lyle. And Atwood starts pleading with with him, like, "Dude, they're gonna kill me. Like, I, I'm gonna get if if you take me back, my family's dead. My cat's dead. Like, please don't do this. Please don't make me testify." And um, we should probably mention Van Dam's name is Walker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Texas Ranger. <laughs> he tells Walker that there's a certain president, Macomb. He's like, Macomb is going to be president. He's a senator, but he'll be president. He's the one who made me go back. Van Dam's like, oh, you mean the guy with the big dorsal fin? <laughs> <laughs> Bigger than mine? How's that possible? <laughs> like you said, he's like, if I testify or even just go back without having done this, he's just going to erase me and everything about me. Yeah, Walker's like, I got to do it. You're coming back. And then Atwood decides, well, I don't have to go back. And he runs and he jumps out the window. If he dies in the past, then everything he's done in the future still exists. His family will be okay. He's just not there anymore. And while he's falling, Van Damme is like, shit, runs out, jumps after him, grabs him. And then all the bystanders in the street are looking up, watching this happen and screaming. And he hits a little button on his on his belt, and they get transported through another like Terminator Two bubble, mid air, mid air, while everyone in full view of everyone. Yeah, there's like an Irish cop watching who says a, a nice one liner, which kind of like raises the question of like they're trying to preserve time, but yet they're creating this like unbelievable spectacle in front right? of everyone. I also wondered that because anytime they go back in time, they're wearing uniforms that are clearly not from whether whatever era they're in and it, yeah. it's emblazoned like time enforcement commission <laughs> on the breast like i don't understand we go back to the future and van damme brings atwood in front of the like judicial tec committee the commission committee and, <laughs> and t-e-j-c-c yes time enforcement judicial commission committee yes <laughs> takes him there and it's just like three judges up on a very tall stand in a dark room with a light in the middle to shine on the victim or the, I guess, the, the accused. And Basically is the victim. Yeah. Because it, it turns out they're just like, okay, you're executed. Yeah. Sentenced to death. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. There's like a firing squad. Right? Just just about. Because he, he's like, no, I, don't, I have nothing to say about what I did. And Van Damme wants him to talk and he won't. And so like, okay, your sentence is death. And then they just... Put him back in time mid-fall from where he jumps out of the building in the first place. For a bastard, tomorrow might have been a brighter day. Which, like, they're punishing him for going back in time and messing with the timeline. Instead of leaving, let, letting sleeping dogs lie in that, like not disturbing the timeline any more than it already has been. They put him back into it to, for everyone to see like this dude come out of nowhere and start falling. Right. I guess, I guess it's more likely they, they put him back a few minutes before he jumped the first time, effectively right after he went up in the elevator. I like it better to think that like everyone looked up and saw someone falling. He disappears. And then five minutes later, he appears again and we get one of those glitch in the matrix sort of stories. What if, do you think the intent was to have have us think that the, the body he stepped over that was a jumper was his body? Oh, that's interesting. I don't think so. So they just showed a newspaper he was holding and like a bloody hand under it, but they didn't show any more detail. Oh, that's a good point. I don't know. That's some cool headcanon. I, I think that could track, honestly. I don't think they really did anything to keep you from thinking it was him. Oh, wait. 
Except they did because when they send him back and he falls to his death at the end, he he lands on a car. I I write that up as tra- uh, trajectory do, mishap. What do they call that? Oh, I, I write that up as a, a continuity error. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. So Van Dam talks to D Day director about this because they're like really close in his timeline. They uh, D Day is like great friends, if not best friends, with Van Dam. Has him over to dinner regularly. They know each other well. And Van Dam like wants to confide in him about this, but before he gets a chance to, Macomb shows up at the TEC. Yeah, he does basically a walkthrough just to see what the committee that he's chairing and appropriating funds for, like what are they up to? Are they doing good? And uh, Macomb and Walker, Jean-Claude Van Damme, have like some action movie not so veiled banter. Yeah. Like Walker makes it very clear that he knows it's Macomb, but Macomb right. is kind of just playing off very coolly. And Macomb's asking all these like pointed questions about like, well, do you know who it is? And Van Damme's like, yep, I sure do. Looking him right in the eyes. Yeah. And they do this thing with silence in this scene. There's like three points that, that are made by one or the other of them. And they just sit there and stare at each other. Yeah, the, the biggest one, I think, was where uh, McComb asks, like, oh, you've heard a lot about me. I hope it's not all bad. Van Damme just stares at him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Silence does the work here. So at the end of the like little tour, uh, McComb, unsurprisingly, basically like, this program really sucks. It's not worth it. Rather than policing time, just don't let anyone time travel. Except for me. Yeah, next time I come here, like, I don't want this to even be a thing. Which to Van Damme is a huge red flag because that means he'd be able to do whatever the fuck he wants unbridled. And I don't remember how they even got to it, but D-Day director mentions in this scene the impossibility of having the same matter occupying the same space and how bad it would be if like Mm -hmm. someone went back and saw their former self and touched them. It's like the one no-no. Yeah. If you mess with time, it's not going to be good, but like it's okay. If the same matter occupies the same space, it's like dividing by zero. It's the appropriate foreshadowing. <laughs> Macomb and his political lackeys get into their like Lego limousine to go. <laughs> I say that because the, the future cars in this movie are so bad. They're trying to extrapolate 10 years into the future. 10 years. Just 10 years. Just 10. And it's like this Jetsons car. It's not even that cool. It's like they took a like a Crown Vic limousine and they just like... They put plastic on the windshield. They made it look twice as big as it needed to be, and they put like an antenna on the back. All the, yeah, all these stupid gigaws and pipes and wires yeah. and plastic panels and shit. It feels like what a 1970s movie thought a 2015 car would look like. Yeah, but it's only a 10-year gap because <laughs> yeah. we went from probably that same limousine, like limousine at some point in some like extra <laughs> shot earlier in the movie to this. <laughs> Ten years later, they decided, like, what technological bump was it time travel that let them have, like, I guess, 50 or 60 years of technology? Because cars are like self-driving, All too. these sensors, maybe. But they don't, let, they don't give you any insight, in, like, that they do anything extra. They really, they try hard in this movie to paint a picture of the future and make it feel like a world that's, like, immersive. But it just falls flat for me. <laughs> Yeah, same. Because in this scene, when they get in the Lego limousine and they leave, they they take a while to pan across the set of them sitting in this limousine, and it's like a couple of TV screens. Yeah, it's a lot of oversight in not only like cinematography, but also writing. 
You know, there are yeah. so many open plot holes throughout this movie that I think we'll probably get to. They they kind of do what you expect of a movie like this, but they don't do it well. Yeah. In the Lego limousine, Macomb is getting the breakdown of the polls from one of his aides. We find out that he's like a super Republican, the pro-life, pro-death. <laughs> uh, he mentions that like the pro-life, pro-death group is supporting him in his run for presidency. I guess they're I miss a- that. anti-abortion, pro-death penalty, I guess. Okay. <laughs> they need money if they're going to win the election. $50 million, I think. And his aide is like, I don't know how you're going to do it even with going back. And he like pushes his aide into the side of the limousine and breaks his nose while he's like eating nuts in an evil way. Can you sing, Master Hobbit? Yes. Come, sing me a song. Home is behind... We just frame him as an asshole. Like, he's, he's a fucking dick. Oh, big time. After Macomb leaves, Walker and D-Day director are talking, and Walker's like, yeah, I know it's Macomb. Macomb is the one who sent Atwood back. But Matuzak, the D-Day director, yeah. is like, hold on. Like, this is the presidential candidate. We can't just, like, go gun for him. Like, we've got to do it with a little more tact. Walker's like, God damn it. So he, he gets in his own little Lego limousine <laughs> and drives home. It's even worse than the Lego limousine. The Lego limousine, you just see like the back seat, but his his Lego car, you, you see him get in and he's just like flipping a a dozen switches to turn it on. It says, Take me home, and you see like a little voice activation. So the cockpit was pretty cool, I guess, but still. The exterior is just so wild. It looks like they took Jack Ryan's mom mobile. And just covered it in, in giant Legos. <laughs> yeah, it really looks like they took like those um, the plastic storage bins you can get at like Walmart, or Target, or whatever, and then maybe cut it down a little bit so they're only like four inches deep. <laughs> put them all over it and then like put little like tubing connecting them together. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's still got like the eighties headlights and taillights mm-hmm. with some yellow stripes on it. God, it's bad. So yeah, he goes home and basically cranks it to old VHS tapes of him and his wife. Yeah, on the way home, it plays the like sorrowful saxophone of, of I had a bad day at work, and it's, it's a bad thing. So when he's at his house, the TV's on, and we hear about the white supremacy party what? Like, moving forward. Yeah. Oh, I do remember hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, gosh, they, they have some real insight here and there in this movie, but for the most part, it's, yeah. it's a, a big miss. I remember hearing that they didn't go too much into detail, but they said something about like the white supremacy party won't be going forward with whatever. They almost got it right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there are a couple things they really hit the nail on the head with, but for the most part, it's like 15 years too early still. Yeah. It's like they missed the mark, but hit a harder to hit further away mark. <laughs> yeah. They missed the mark and they hit a mark 15 years in the future. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, watching tapes of his wife and he's like, repeating what he says as he says it on the tape. Uh-huh. Want some help? Want some help? Yeah, you can buy the birthday. Basically cries himself to sleep. It's a real pity party. Yeah. He has a fifth for dinner. <laughs> Liquid dinner. He, when he wakes up the next morning, he wakes up to a dude getting ready to taser him. But his voicemail goes off. That's what wakes him up. Yeah. So yeah, he wakes up and he hears like, out of memory, he opens his eyes and he sees like, the two little tase uh, prongs heading for his face. And so he like jumps out of the way and there's like three goons in his house. And I think he, oh, at the end of the scene, he does another split. Yeah. There's like, uh, he has a water cooler in his house and it spills. And after he's like neutralized two goons, there's a third one who's like going to electrocute the puddle of water and says like 
some action quotable, but all the action quotables in this movie fell super flat. Oh my like, god, they dude. weren't good. So like, cliche. So well, not even that. They weren't even funny. Like the 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 peak of action quotables for me are almost all the Arnold movies. Uh-huh. Like all the Terminators, Total Recall. Oh yeah, great quotables. This one it doesn't really make sense. Right before he shoots the taser, he says something effective like "Have a good morning." And it's I like think, not I think even, it says like 10,000 volts motherfucker or actually I think I wrote it down 50,000 volts motherfucker 50,000 volts motherfucker have a nice day so I want to talk a little bit about this action scene because it's another really fun like Van Damme one because yeah. one he's in his underwear like all oiled <laughs> up and he's super fit he's he's a piece but all the dudes have knives and no guns there's like an Asian guy with long hair with two knives fighting him and there's another guy with a knife Van Damme knocks out one of them, steals his knife, and looks like a mini Klingon dagger. <laughs> and then he just holds it vertically in front of him while the Asian guy attacks the knife. It's <laughs> so, it's like terrible choreog- choreography. My style? You can call it the art of fighting without fighting. Yeah, so the, the taser man tries to shoot him, but at that point he'd been knocked down, almost unconscious, and a water bottle falls over. And then he's like, 10,000 volts, motherfucker. And he goes to shoot him, and he's laying in a puddle of water. And the guy's standing in the puddle of water. And he, like, jumps up and does a split on his kitchen counter to stay above <laughs> the water while he tases the water and shocks himself. That was the best split of the movie. It was. By far. It was uh, buns aplenty. <laughs> like, There's no support for his midsection. His ball, his bits are just dangling. Well, that's the crazy part. It's like it's all he's all supported by his front and back ankle while he's, like, <laughs> splayed 180 degrees staring into the camera yeah he literally stares at the camera look at my buns i am the buns now (laughs) his buns do the heavy lifting i wish so many of these quotables were better like right off the cuff just thinking about it they should have went with something like the original goldfinger when um i think like he shocks that girl in the bathtub Uh and after she dies he looks at her and goes shocking yeah (laughs) he should have been like i'm sure this will be rather shocking I'm now aiming precisely at your groin. So speak or forever hold your peace. So I've watched it twice. I like watching it twice if I get a chance. And there were two good quotables in this movie. One of them, I would actually say was here because the next scene, we have a cop coming up the stairs, gun drawn, and the shocky guy who was already like shocked to death. I don't understand. Gets kicked out of the wall and like through a banister and falls on the stairs that she's coming up. And Van Dam leans out and he's like, they messed up my house, arrest them, which I thought was pretty funny. Did he say kill them? No. Yeah. I think he says kill them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I actually like that. It's internal affairs agent fielding. My name's fielding. I'm with internal affairs. He messed up my apartment. You can kill him. They go back to uh, the TEC headquarters where we are introduced to their IT nerd. Yeah. Who I guess it's called Richard. Richie? or I think it's Richard, but they call him Richie. Yeah. We're introduced through his POV watching VR porn. Yeah. <laughs> this is the, their attempt to have a really funny nerdy guy at the head of all the time machine controls. Ricky, I catch you fucking this machine again, I'll break your neck. Sorry, Chief. Looks like safe sex to me. And he's like what you see in every 90s movie as like the IT nerd. He's got like long, kind of stringy blonde hair that goes like to the mid-back, like circular glasses. Yeah, he's he's like a hippie nerd. 
Walker comes in and starts dishing to D-Day director about how we got problems. I just almost got assassinated at my house by McCombs guys. And who the fuck is this lady? Why is she tailing me? And D-Day director's like, your partner went rogue. You can't be trusted. I'm sorry. Like, I trust you, but it's policy. And while they're talking about this, Richie comes in over the radio and is like, hey, that, that level four disturbance just went to a level six. So there's basically a time emergency they have to go take care well, what of. What level four disturbance? They don't say. Well, exactly. Yeah. It's very badly explained. <laughs> all, all we get is that they have some way of monitoring time, never explained how. They, they both can tell when events change from ripples in the past, but they have no idea when someone comes back from the past and has changed or that they have changed. I think just an extra added bit of writing would make it like I follow the sequence of events, but they're just adding some piece of dialogue as a throwaway to force like major plot incentives, like what the characters are going to decide. To keep it moving, yeah. I I guess because this time ripple that is glossed over, they're going to go back in time, 10 years to 1994. Before Lego limos. (laughs) Right. To try and figure out, just try and see if they can stop him back then. Just do some investigation. Isn't the level six disturbance just so happened to be the shit that McCombs trying to pull off? I guess they're going just to see. Like, to see and to try and stop it. Also, whenever the nerdy Richie guy is talking about it, he's like, man, it looks like a set off Waimea. Talking about the time disturbance. Yeah. No. It's like, hell yeah, point break. Wow. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. The ripple was steady at four, then spiked past five to six. <laughs> On the big board, it looks like a set off YMA. Somebody's really doing a number. So the way that they, in 2004, the way that they time travel is they give them this little pod that is on this track. It's like on a sled. And it goes, <laughs> the sled is maybe 200 yards long. And at the end of the track is just a cement wall. Yeah. Instead of like a foam pit to prevent like, catastrophic failures is just a wall like an arm to catch the rocket sled yeah uh walker and fielding his new agent get into this pod fielding this is a great bit of writing because like they really play up like how nervous she is and how cool calm and collected walker is they're like how's walker you have to shake him to see if he's awake yeah yeah they're monitoring his vitals and everything and he's like barely even alive he's like so cool she's never done a jump before so she's she's very on edge yeah it's such a fun, great scene that is immediately just like <laughs> shit on by horrible special effects. Like, like as they get up to speed, as they get up to 88 miles an hour, <laughs> their faces get all distorted and it just looks like shit. It does. And you, you can tell the rocket sled's only going like 15, 20 miles an hour, <laughs> yeah. but they shake the camera really hard. <laughs> they shake it more. This is what really got me is they shake the camera way more on Fielding's face than they do on Van Damme's face. Like, they're both in the same sled. It should be shaking equally. But Fielding's just, like, shaking all around. And Van Damme's just like, "Uh uh-huh. He's barely awake. Yeah. So they land in the lake in front of the National Monument, I believe, in D.C. Which, where's the sled? Yeah. Where the fuck did the sled go? (laughs) They just fall. Like, they travel in the sled, and then they do the time ripple effect, and they just fall out of the air. But there's no sled. Where was the sled in the office in the 1920s? I want to see that thing crash through there. I know, right? (laughs) Time travel shouldn't be subtle but yeah they they land in the lake in front of the national monument and they start talking about personal shit while they're like drying out their clothes she mentions it's her birthday the next day and i think walking to the place they need to go because they have the future tech that can like somehow track their target she asks about something and he mentions how his you know wife got killed and she's like 
but you want to change the past, don't you? It's, yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so they come up on Parker Macomb Data Systems, which is relevant because in the beginning, when they're in like the 2004 timeline at the TEC, the company that owns all the equipment is just Parker Systems or something. Oh. Or Parker Data Systems. I didn't notice and that. So they go back in time to 94, and it's now Parker Macomb Data Systems. And what we get here is Macomb, I guess, talking to Parker. Um, it's like past Macomb talking to Parker, who I guess funds all of the time travel shit. I don't think it's the actual scientist who invented it. But he's talking to him, and then future Macomb shows up with a bunch of smash mouth goonies. Hey now. <laughs> and so we can't, I guess this is supposed to be the exposition of how Macomb is bringing himself into power. In my notes, I have 1994 Macomb and 2004 Macomb. Yeah. But 94 Macomb was like talking to Parker about some sort of like computer chip and whether he wants like to sell it or stay vested in like its future earnings. 2004 Macomb comes in and he's like, don't sell it. That shit's going to be ultra profitable and you're going to need that if you want to win the presidency, bitch. Yeah. He, uh, he big dogs himself. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite quote in the whole movie, maybe from the action quotable line is like the guy who was talking to Parker is like, wait. Who's this? And 2004 Macomb turns around and he's like, don't interrupt me when I'm talking to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Pistol whips him. <laughs> How far back have you come? Never interrupt me when I'm talking to myself. Yeah, so we're in a warehouse or like a factory, some industrial setting like you need in the movie. At this point, Van Damme shows up and points a laser pistol at him. Freeze! Agent Walker, do you realize how inappropriate that word is? Do I look frozen to you? You look like shit to me. Get away from him. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, and they drop their guns. And then McCombs like, how are you going to get down here and keep a pistol on me, jackass? And then Fielding comes in and points a gun at his head from the first floor. So they've, they've got him dead to rights. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Yeah. Van Damme climbs down the rafters and trains his gun on him again. And at that point, they're, you know, just having one of those hero-villain talks. What's that? The senator was having a fundraiser. You know, I'm in office. It's going to be like the 80s again. Top 10% will get richer. The other 90% can emigrate to Mexico where they can live a better life. So, Agent Walker, you're going to stay. I think you plan too far ahead. Obviously, you don't. Fielding turns and points her gun at Van Damme. Oh, no. Couldn't have seen this coming. Picard's a Borg. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, then Van Damme has to drop his gun, and it's one of those, it's not even a Mexican standoff. It's about to be an execution, but it's Van Damme. So he attacks the two guys who have the guns trained on him, ends up getting away, more or less. This, this whole scene is kind of a clusterfuck. Basically, like, Walker... Sneaks around, taking out bad guys one by one. It should be mentioned, though, that as soon as Macomb got the upper hand, he domes the scientist. Just kills him. Parker? Yes. Maybe he'll calm down after the election. It's a big deal. At one point in the chaos, Walker, there, I guess there are these like cryo, cryo, preservation, cryo preservant tanks, and it's like spewing like liquid nitrogen or whatever. There's also fire barrels, explosive barrels. It has the red barrels from video games in this scene. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think 
uh, Van Damme's on the ground, like shooting at somebody up on the rafters, and he shoots one of the cryo barrels. And that then he makes his own stunt. He like sets up his own stunt with a forklift that has a couple of these fire barrels on it that are already exploding all over the place. He like engages the forklift and is using this cover and he turns it and he drives it up next to the rafter or the girders, the, the catwalk. And he gets on the pallet with the two fire barrels, with the two explosive barrels and raises himself up to the level of the guy shooting at him, the guy by the cryo barrels. And then he just like throws a barrel off so it will explode when it hits the ground and jumps over the fire. <laughs> it's, it was so, it was great. I loved it. Nobody shoot me. I got to pull off this sweet move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he does. He does that. And then he gets over to the, the guy on the raptors by the cryo barrels. Yeah. And uh, somehow like gets this dude to stumble where like half his body gets exposed to like this escaping liquid nitrogen or whatever and so it's this kind of fun special effect where like half of his torso and arm are like kind of bluish frozen looking all frosty and uh walker eddie gordo's his arm off and just like shears the whole side of him off yeah and it just like shatters and we actually get to see the the like this cross section of yeah. his insides and then he kicks him off the rafter. Maybe he just falls into the big science equipment. That was a fun special effect. It was. And he says, like... Have a nice day. Again, another, like... It could have been so much better. That but, but they actually made up for it. Because right then, Macomb shows up on the, on the catwalk with them. And then Walker looks at him and he shrugs. And he's like... I should have said freeze. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the other, the other one-liner that was pretty good. It's like they tried to not have really cliche one-liners and in doing so they just had bad one-liners and overly cliche one-liners which is a shame because the movie already knows that it's bad and corny yeah see all the splits that they zoom in on yeah (laughs) but yeah so mccomb shows up and like i guess has walker dead to rights and before he does he shoots fielding in the face no in the chest oh in the chest twice in the chest god it looks like it was right in the face before he escapes, Macomb does manage to give his young self like either instructions or whatever to take over Parker Industries. They both, uh, Walker and Macomb, both go back to 2004. Yeah, I thought it was weird that Walker left fielding there. Like, yeah, she's been hit, and the cops are, like, storming the place at this yeah. point. But he's just like, all right, boop, and hits his little button and goes back. I'm sure she, she's got to have one of those little, like, time boxes, too. Why not just hit hers as well? Yeah, I don't know. Another major plot hole. Maybe the time travel is hard in the body, mm-hmm. and if she's already gone through the ringer, That's maybe good. she couldn't take it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. But then why couldn't he stay and help her? Another plot hole right there. You're right. So when, when Walker gets back... Back to the future. <laughs> the, the future. 2004. <laughs> from 1994. <laughs> where cars a fly. Giant 10-year leap. Everything's made of Legos. What the hell's going on here? You're lucky you got back. They're getting ready to tear up these tracks. Who else? The timeline's been changed. D-Day director and pretty much everyone else in the TEC isn't any wiser, of course, that the timeline's changed. That's just reality for them. 
Walker enters this new kind of like fork in the timeline 2004 where Macomb is buying the presidency. D-Day director doesn't remember fielding the apartment doesn't even that like was assigned to, yeah. assigned to him. Everything has just changed. But the interesting thing for me is like they make such a big deal in the, in the opening scene about how a small change in the past will have huge ripples. But the only things that really change are like the things that were directly affected in the past. There's no major ripples. The only thing that's changed is the stuff that's relevant to the plot. Yeah. But you know what's the most important thing? Is that Richie is now Richard and he wears a suit, but his hair's in a ponytail. <laughs> He's very formal. He doesn't like being called Richie. I actually noticed that. <laughs> I noticed that on the second watch. I was like, that that's really how you know. No, no, they, they won't let us do that. Stay out of it, Ricky. It would be too much trouble to call me Richard. Richard. He's not in the VR <laughs> porn anymore. That man that man cuts his steak with a knife. That's the only ripple. Yeah. Because <laughs> Richie is now Richard. Yeah. <laughs> the real ripple. So Walker decides the one nugget they have to go off of to try and nail Macomb is fielding. Mm-hmm. She's the piece of evidence being a witness that he went back in time and affected the timeline to make himself now president. So like he committed but multiple crimes in that and in one little murder being vacation. one of them. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, McCombs back in his Lego limo, evilly eating nuts to his aid and saying we have to go and kill Walker before he joins the TEC. Right. Setting up some future bad. Yeah. And somehow in this when Walker is talking to DDA director about how to justify going back to try and prevent Macomb from buying the presidency. Somehow they realize he also has a time machine. He has like the original time machine. Yeah, the prototype. I don't know how they forgot and subsequently realized that, oh wait, he has a prototype. He has the original from Werner von Braun. I imagine that they... They probably realize a third of the way through filming or halfway through filming, they're like, shit, how, did, how is Macomb traveling through time? <laughs> like, oh, I guess he's got the prototype. It's in Maryland. Oh, shit, our, our plot is Swiss cheese. Let's just <laughs> plug up this hole with one little line. Yeah. <laughs> Leaky pipes can cause major damage, but flex tape grips on tight and bonds instantly. Yeah, so uh, he convinces D-Day director, who doesn't even like him at this point, that no we used to be best friends yet like when i was here last and we've got to go back i've got to find proof i've got to find fielding and we can bring down macomb because shit's getting real bad man and he convinces d-day director to do this he convinces him so effectively he sacrifices himself to let him go back through time yeah there's like military guards here now which i don't think were there before macomb has exerted so much control of the tec in this altered timeline that he's basically instructed everyone don't let anyone go back in time yeah and oh also at this point when he gets back it says macomb industries is no longer parker macomb yeah the tec guards which are now essentially macomb's guards do everything in the power to prevent d-day director from allowing walker to go off he has to press all these little gigaish buttons to let him go yeah. back and he gets shot and in his final act he goes damn and presses the last button to see <laughs> yeah. him off. He does like the reaching for the red button thing. The great big red button. Yeah. And and yeah, he he does. He gets him he gets that rocket sled fired up, which And they clearly don't have lockout tagout procedures because when it gets fired up, he barbecues the two guards that shot D Day director. Yeah, they're standing right behind <laughs> it in the jet, the big uh, fiery jet that comes out the back of it just fries them. <laughs> Did you notice how one of the steps he took to get the, the sled working was turning on the lights? No. He's like running down this this metal catwalk, like flipping all these switches, and one of them he flips, and all it does is turn on some lights that are shining on the track. Nice. Like, if it's that important, do you really need the lights? 
Gotta be safe. Yeah. Safety third. Safety third. I think that this is where the budget for this movie went, was this rocket sled track. Oh, you think so? Yeah. They were like, shit, we built this huge TEC set that only like five scenes most happen in, and we forgot to get future guns. <laughs> Let's just duct tape a mag light to this pistol. I think it went in the CGI for the time travel. Oh, yeah. That's a good point, too. There's a little, little bit more CGI later that I think was lacking in budget, too, but we'll yeah. get there. <laughs> so he makes it back in time again. So he lands, like, on some highway or whatever. This was, like, for fun. It didn't have any bearing on the plot, but he, like, lands on a highway looking, you know, towards the camera, and behind him is, like, an 18-wheeler that honks his horn, so he just hits the deck and drives right over him. And then he just, like, walks 10 feet, and he's in a hospital. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as as we enter this scene, we actually see Walker's wife getting in her car to leave the hospital. Wouldn't you know that he went back to the exact same day that all the shit went down in 1994? Yeah. How convenient is that? I don't know if I want to call it a plot hole, but one of the biggest plot conveniences of the whole movie. Maybe the D-Day director did it on purpose. Maybe. Maybe he knows what day it was and sent it back there to try and correct it. Maybe, I guess. I guess if he's like... Oh uh, yeah, Walker and I were I guess we were best friends, even though I don't really like that guy. Sucks his his wife got killed on this day in nineteen ninety four, the same year that he says he just came back from. I guess I'll send him there. Hopefully it's not a month before Fielding gets shot. Like I I don't know. It's just a little Swiss cheesy. Yeah, plot holes abound. So he finds Fielding in the hospital, a Jane Doe. He hooks up his like future computer to a payphone and is able to figure out that there was a Jane Doe admitted with gunshot wounds. Goes there, she's like yeah, I screwed up. I want to make it right. I'll testify against Macomb, but we need proof. They just took some blood from me. It'll be in the lab. So he walks out of the hospital room, goes to the lab, and in looking for Fielding's blood sample, finds his wife's blood sample, which I guess they need to take a pregnancy test in 1994. Yeah, they're looking for like the protein that says you're pregnant. Yeah, and it's positive. And this is the most emotion we get out of Van Damme the whole movie. Because he, he, he gets all red and his face screws up a little bit. I thought it was actually, it was kind of affecting. It was. He like drops the vial he's holding when he sees his wife's name. He's like, and he's holy like, shit. Oh shit, like this is the day. She had something to tell me. We're supposed to learn here that he never knew she was pregnant. He realizes 10 years later that was what she had to tell him the day that the house went all Bernie. But he like was a terrible husband. He was like, it can wait until I get back from work. Never say that if you have a dangerous job. <laughs> he says at one point, like she's asking him about the new job and she's saying, is it going to be dangerous? And he's like... I don't bake cookies for a living. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, cringe. <laughs> he goes back with the blood sample to Fielding. Like, I'm going to take you somewhere safe. And there's been a syringe put in her IV and she's dead. Yeah. And he um, just stands there and stares at her while the nurse comes in because all the, like, blue codes are firing. And he just stands there and looks at her speechless while the nurse freaks out thinking that he's done it and he, he doesn't say like no 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 he just looks at the nurse menacingly <laughs> and then turns and runs <laughs> and then turns and runs <laughs> yeah and while he's running he sees he's like basically catching up to someone else that is running out of the hospital it's the same dual exhaust bad guy hey now. from the beginning of the movie that killed his wife in 1994 that he yeah. saw in the mall they're, they're just like casually exiting the hospital He's running, being chased by security, and he jumps out of a window, and he runs. Which, by the way, can I just say, like, how 
dumb is that? He gets like cornered in an office and before even looking out like whatever fourth floor window he's on, he's like, fuck it, jumps out the window. There just happens to be like some sort of extension from the floor below him that catches him. You know, it's 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 got to be um, because of all the suicides that happened in 1929, there were mandates, I guess, because of the timelines that were altered to, to Mitch, have... Just stop. <laughs> just stop. That headcanon will not be allowed. But this was one of the best stunts in the movie, I think. Guy jumps out a window, he lands on like outstretched metal and it breaks and he falls. It looked like a pretty painful stunt. Yeah, I, I agree. It didn't look very, very comfortable. No. And he runs to the mall. So he goes back to the mall to try and prevent the same timeline that happened in 94 where his wife died and house went explodey. And he starts by just checking the rollerblading guy directly into like a stand of sunglasses. It's <laughs> like, I remember you, fuck you. Yeah, and the rollerblading guy's like, what the fuck? <laughs> he has no clue. He hasn't even committed the crime yet. Yeah. He goes and he finds his wife in front of the clock shop. He like grabs her and he's like, don't turn around. And she turns around and it's him. And she's like, what the fuck? Yeah, she doesn't recognize him because he's 10 years older. But 10-year-older Walker just has a mullet. He, he just has a mullet instead, yeah. He's a little <laughs> bit more grizzled. He tries to explain it as much as he can to her without giving away the fact that she's dead. Especially like, you've got to come with me. Like, I can't explain, but we've got to go. Dual exhaust mullet bad guy is onto them at this point. And so they're kind of like running out of the mall trying to get away from him. They have, they have a mall chase, and then they go back into the mall. Gets her back in time while being chased by these future thugs. Gets away and gets her back to the clock shop in time for her to have a rendezvous with past him. And she does. And she does have the same exchange of lines from the second scene of the movie. Smarmy, you want to bang lines. Then we jump to that night, that rainy night post-coitus phone call. He gets the phone call. She goes downstairs, exasperated. And who's hiding in the shadows but future Van Damme? And and he's like, come here. Do you not? I would have been fucking startled as shit. Oh, for sure. But she's totally cool with it. And he's like, just don't let him come downstairs. And so he goes outside and, and jumps the, the future Smash Mouth bad guys. Hey now. And this is when the longest, most drawn-out action scene of the movie starts. 04 Van Damme punches the goons who are about to punch his past self and he immediately takes the gun and then gets held at gunpoint. So he, he gets held at gunpoint after the first interaction with the bad guys and I just had to think here like, oh good job man, you fucked up immediately yeah, trying right. to change the past. You know everything that's coming. All that had to happen here was one of the Smash Mouth baddies just dome him. Yeah. Movie over. <laughs> it all happens the way it did. He should have had his gun drawn and just got at everybody. I know, instantly. right? Why not? Because he's got to use his legs, man. He knows his most powerful weapon are his legs. But he's doing what he tried at this point. His, his goal is being held well in that his wife, Melissa, is keeping 1994 Walker upstairs. Yes. All up until 04 Walker is fighting the goons downstairs and a gun goes off. And I think that's when he gets held at gunpoint. Past Walker cuts the power. And then future Walker's able to get the drop on the baddies again. And that's when, like, the shit hits the fan and it, it all goes crazy. This is where the movie turns into Patriot Games. It does! I have that <laughs> same thought. Like, the thugs come in the house, it's pouring down rain, it's a terrible storm, it's a big house. And it's, it's all the, like, dark scenes, everybody walking through the rooms. And what does Walker do? He puts his wife on the roof. Why is it that the the protagonist thinks in a in a situation like this? Let me put my wife on the roof, where she's totally exposed to anyone who's outside. There's nowhere else to go. There's, yeah, like 
so you can't go anywhere. It's a precipitous drop. <laughs> Where is that logic? Let's get this action scene on the roof. And of course, Melissa, his wife, the first thing she does is tries to climb to the peak of the roof in the lightning storm, and she grabs onto she's, the fucking lightning rod. Yeah, she's clinging onto it like yeah. it's her one source of life. Yeah. Oh, man. So it's fucking chaos. Melissa's Patriot Games on the roof. Van Damme's getting in a fight on the roof. Other Van Damme is getting future Van Dams outside fighting I the I think thugs. it's maybe too complicated at this point to yeah. like keep track of future and past Van Dam. I think it's just like the walkers are going around and picking off bad guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Van Dam falls and is like hanging on the gutter on the roof and one of the baddies... One of the walkers. Yeah, one of the walkers is hanging on, on the roof and the baddie comes over and it's like stomping on his feet like you do when you're a bad guy and your nemesis is hanging off of something. And then in panic, I guess, his wife, who's up clinging onto the, to the antenna of the lightning rod, it breaks and she like tumbles all the way down like two or three different like vaults of roof and manages to catch Van Damme on the way down. Melissa is hanging on to Walker. He's hanging on to the gutter. Bad guy stomping on his fingers. And in the previous scene, Walker had like kicked a bad guy out of a window and his gun like fell into a gutter. And while Walker's about to get stomped off this roof, his wife grabs the gun out of the gutter. We don't see her do it, but she shoots the guy from below and, and kills him. That was Walker. No, she does it. No. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. Walker was under there. After that guy died, Walker like swung his wife back into the house. So I just watched this scene not two hours ago. I guarantee you his wife shoots the thug. Walker was like on the second floor and was holding a shotgun up to the, or some kind of gun up to the floor joists or whatever. Nah, dude. Nah, dude. I'm going to video check your ass. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) I I am adamant about this for uh, a specific reason. Okay. She's, they're both there. Oh shit, it was her. Yeah, dude. Great. Wow, for some reason when I saw that, I thought it was Young Walker from inside. Crazy. So it was, it was her. Yeah, Melissa Walker fucking pulls a pistol out of the gutter and puts a, a few through this guy. What a badass, because up until this point, she has been pretty innocent, scared, but nah, she's fucking shown right here. Good job. Good job on this walker. So Van Damme swings her over to the gutter, and she shimmies her way down to like a landing, I think. He climbs back on the roof. He's just like army crawling up the roof, looking for, I guess, another Smash Mouth goon, and he peeks over the top of the roof, and the guy's just sitting there waiting for him and shoots him <laughs> twice in the chest, and he falls backwards, slides down the roof, and falls off the roof. And this was young Van Damme, I believe. Uh, who knows? Who knows? I, there's no way to tell. So, 04 Van Damme, down on the first floor, has gotten back into the house after doing some like clothesline shenanigans with a shotgun, taking out other goons. And Macomb shows up and gets the wife at gunpoint and has Walker dead to rights, and they arm a, like a future C4 mine, <laughs> which I guess explains the explosion from the second scene in the movie. Definitely. That would do it, I think. Not that I know C4 that well. <laughs> There's some more fighting that goes on. I think somebody goes out a window. There's a fight outside between one of the Van Dams and... The, dual exhaust. And dual exhaust 
goon, and I think that's the guy who shot him in the very beginning, and Van Damme gets the upper hand finally and just like piss whips him seven fucking times. Doesn't he also snap his neck? I think he does in the end. Like yeah. he piss whips him so he's unrecognizable and snaps his neck. We'll have to cut that in. Um, so yeah, Macomb shows up, gets his wife at gunpoint, and they end up going upstairs, and Macomb has the bomb. It's worth mentioning that in this timeline, both Macombs are here. They are. And there was a little scene that we forgot to mention before, spoiler alert, kind of, where young Macomb is at his office at the Capitol, and he, he, his secretary is like, hey, you just got this message. And he's like, clear all my meetings. Oh, I did not get that. I did not remember that at all. That, that clears up a question I had later. Yeah, that's that was the setup for what happens here. So old Macomb is monologuing with with Walker's what wife at gunpoint to Walker about how he's an idiot and all this stuff. You never do that as a bad guy. Never monologue, man. You just finish your plans and move on with your life. If the bad guys took like the real initiative that a true bad guy would take and just dome the hero immediately whenever they're able to, they would never lose. So and movies wouldn't time. sell either. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a long monologue. Right. McCombs explaining how there's a bomb right there. It's going to go off and we're all going to be dead. And young me is, is still alive and I've already made all the changes. So he's going to win the presidency. And then young McComb walks in the room like, hey, hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> <laughs> you having a party without me? Yeah. What the fuck are you doing here? What do you mean? You called me. Left a message with the Senate operator. I didn't leave any message, you fucking idiot. He's like, he's like trash talking his old self. Like you're such a fucking idiot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so Van Damme's signaling his wife to elbow Macomb in the balls. He he's literally just like wordlessly making like direct eye contact with her and pointing at his dick. Yeah, very subtly, just pointing at his dick, just like we do it in the bedroom. <laughs> and so <laughs> <laughs> I just point at my dick and count down. Like you best be on this dick in three. <laughs> two. But hopefully uh, what happens in your bedroom does not happen with what Melissa does next. She takes it as a sign of, oh, I'm going to elbow him in the balls then. And so shit pops off right when she elbows him in the balls. Macomb actually shoots her kind of in the back, but off to the side a little bit. In the shoulder a bit. She goes down. And right when that happens, Walker grabs young 1994 Macomb, reminds 2004 Macomb, the same matter can't occupy the same space. And then kicks him into old Macomb. And old Macomb, for whatever reason, has about like five seconds to get out of the way. But he just stands there going, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then they finally like occupy the same space. Uh, I think I think old Macomb's arm like just T2s through young Macomb. And they both scream. It was much less violent than I thought it would be. They made it sound like that's the one thing that will rip everything apart. The universe will rip itself apart. You divide by zero. Yeah. There's going to be a black hole formed. I was expecting a tear in reality at least. But they just turned into like a giant aorta. Yeah, they just like flesh monstered into like non-existence. Giant flesh tube that then just like dissolved into the wood floor. Very bad CGI. Yeah. It's good at the beginning when you see both their like heads morph together and you see like some eyes and teeth and shit. It's like, but, it's like a monotooth. Yeah, but then it just gets all like glossy and like early CG, and they just kind of morph into a, a blob on the floor that disappears and leaves a shadow. If only it was something that was more creative. Like it just turns into like a big flesh tube. Yeah, that dissolves. Sh there should have been something more like shocking. 
it was fairly shocking just because I wasn't expecting a flesh tube. You know? <laughs> you never expect a flesh tube. Title of my sex tape. <laughs> um. <laughs> That's what happens after you point to your dick, right? You just don't expect a flesh tube. You don't expect a flesh tube. <laughs> so the bomb is about to go off in like 10 seconds. Walker grabs unconscious wifey and runs outside right as it explodes. He places his wife's unconscious body next to his old self's unconscious body. And I had the thought in this moment, like, what if he's laying his wife down and he, t- he just like brushes up against his old self's jacket or whatever <laughs> and just morphs into a flesh monster <laughs> and she wakes up completely alone with no idea what there's the hell There's just a happened. stain in the grass. Yeah, there's a, another one of those stains. We go back to the future. The timeline has changed yet again. Oh, can we mention he appears in the rocket car? In multiple times, when they go back to 1994, they walk into the time bubble and then reappear in the rocket car. So like when they go to the future, they go in the rocket car, show up without the rocket car. When they go back in time, they go without the rocket car, then show up with the rocket car. Right. It doesn't make any sense. But they go back in 2004. Walker does by himself <laughs> um, without his wife. And he, he identifies as they. Him and his legs. <laughs> Him and his mullet. What would he nickname his legs? Like you nickname your like fists like... Like lightning like and thunder. Law enforcement. Yeah. Him and lightning and thunder. Yeah. Go back to 2004. And there's some subtle like signs that the timelines change. But the big one is like he asks D-Day director. Hey, what's going on with Senator Macomb? Senator Macomb? Yeah. Look, if you want time off, ask for it. Don't act like you're out of your head. I've got a blank spot. Blank spot? You got a hole in your head. Ten years ago, Macomb left his office, canceled all his appointments, disappeared. Nobody's ever seen him since. That's so sad. I thought it was funny because it further closes the time gap for me where it's been ten years, which is supposedly a really long time in this movie, right? Without skipping a beat, immediately, D-Day director's like, Senator Macomb, if you needed time off, you should have just told me, right? Like, you're crazy. He just immediately knows who he's talking about, like that. They're quickly wrapping up the denouement here in the movie. You know, Walker heads home. He's, I guess, surprised to see that he's greeted by his son, who's probably about 10 years old. And, of course, 2004, Melissa has no recollection, it would seem, of what happened because she's like, everything okay? Like, you seem surprised. Shouldn't she know that this is, like, new? I don't know, because... I guess she would remember all of the crazy like fighting that night and that future Walker was there. But when does she know that it's him coming home from work right after that happened? Unless future Macomb had been like, I'll be back. I'll see, I, me, will see you on this day in 2004. But until then, you have old me. Yeah, maybe she knows he's coming back at some point, but she doesn't know the day. Yeah, so I guess. Years- Tick by, she's just like gotten used to the fact that it'll happen or already has happened. Swiss cheese, my friend. Yeah. He doesn't seem to have any memory of this stuff, which I thought maybe he should have. But wife's alive, and guess what? She's got something to tell him. And end of movie. Wait, she said that? Yeah, she's pregnant again. You is it is alluded to. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. But yeah. So that's the movie. In all of its glory. Oh, boy. That sure was a movie. <laughs> it sure was, Zach.
What did you think, Mitch? Did you like it? You know, I did. I liked it because even though it's a movie that on the surface, if I was told about the movie, if I was told it was a campy, kitschy, cliche time travel movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme, I'd be like, I'll pass. But after watching it, it's a lot of fun. And they, they kind of own it. They owned that it was what it was. I feel like they knew that they were doing it the whole time. Because in, for example, oh, it's in the future? Let's just add some shit onto cars. We'll put some extra shit on guns. And we'll like slow pan across the sets. They do all the things that are expected of them, but it's almost like an afterthought. Like, oh yeah, we have to do this too because it's in the future, 10 years, yeah. I enjoyed the the bad lines. I, I enjoyed it as a bad movie in the way you, like when you watch a B movie, you enjoy a B movie because you go into it knowing that it's bad and it's not going to win any Oscars. <laughs> And that's kind of how I felt about this movie. It's like a 90s B action movie. It certainly is that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very B. But I, I en- it is fun. I agree, though. Yeah, I enjoyed the, the buns, the many, many action scenes that were just over-choreographed and also under-choreographed at the same time mm. and very kickboxing heavy. Mm-hmm. I'd say, yeah, overall, I liked it. Would recommend if you appreciate bad 90s movies. Did you like this movie, Zach? I'm disagreeing with you. All right. I didn't like the movie. It was a fun movie. Like, I enjoyed certain part, many parts of it. But my biggest hang-up is the movie asks you to turn your brain off. It really does. The movie asks you not to think about it. I mean, like, it's kind of the whole point of watching a movie. And sometimes it's just to zone out and have fun and enjoy. But don't choose time travel if you're going to have a movie where you're just like, let's just have fun and fuck around. Yeah, let's like, have fun and fuck around. What's the most complex topic we could pick? And they don't even try and make it make sense. They literally ask you to turn your brain off. There are so many plot holes that just leave you scratching your head and wondering why they even attempted this. Maybe the biggest plot hole for me is McComb, once he realizes Walker's going to be a problem, he wants to go back in time to 1994, the first scene of the movie, and kill him. Which is why Dual Exhaust was there, that first scene. Right, which that, from the first scene, is why his wife died. So Walker is going through this timeline without a wife because McComb has gone back and tried to kill him. Right. In this timeline, McComb says, you know what, we should go back and try and kill Walker. He's already tried to do that, though. Right. So they go back to, it's already happened. You have to ignore the logic when it's convenient for the plot. But that, that's the thing. This movie asks you to just be brain dead. <laughs> and, Maybe I was brain dead watching it. <laughs> <laughs> but like all that aside, it's a fun movie. Like the action quotables suck. But all the splits and buns and fun little segments and choreographed fights, it's a fun movie, but it's objectively bad. Objectively bad. I <laughs> do agree with you there. It is a bad movie that I enjoyed. In some ways, I kind of like it. Despite the fact there are a lot of bad lines, now that I've watched it twice, I picked up on a few little things. They give little nods to the fact that it's bad, and they have some subtleties here and there. Like I had to watch this movie three times. Really? The first time I watched it, I got about halfway through. The second time I watched it was last night. I got about three quarters of the way through, and I stopped because I kept falling asleep watching the movie. <laughs> and then I stopped to go to bed. I laid in bed, and I couldn't fall asleep because I kept thinking about how much the movie did not make sense. <laughs> <laughs> So I finished it this morning. (laughs) Nice. Very nice. You do fall asleep during movies, though. I do. Which I've never done. I don't think ever. Oh, really? I've never been able to. Well, Mitch, it's time for our favorite segment of the show, or at least one of my favorites. Did you have a true hero?
I did. I was very stuck between two true heroes. And is it okay if I do a true hero and an honorable mention? Or is that too much? Questionable. Okay. Go ahead and mention both. Okay. I'm going to award my true hero title to D-Day director. Mm. Because in the timeline, the bad one that Van Damme comes back to when Macomb is like in power, D-Day director does not like Van Damme. They were best friends in the other timeline. He's not fond of him in this one. And despite that fact, after being told everything that went down, how Macomb's in power because of XYZ, he's a real bad egg. D-Day director still is like, all right, let's get you back there. And like storms the castle. Van Damme punches out the guards. They go into like the rocket car chamber and he does all the pushing of the buttons while under fire. So D-Day director actually like goes with him. This man that he'd never really liked before takes his, his word for it, I guess, because if you're in that position of power in charge of a time copying agency, then this might be par for the course. Your guys come back and be like, this isn't the same as it was when I left. Like, that can't be uncommon, right? I thought of the whole movie. Yeah. Everyone seems so flabbergasted when, like, somebody's recollection of what happened in previous event doesn't line up with theirs. Yeah. That should be, like you said, par for the course. That should be, like, part of the job description. It's yeah. Like, be prepared for shit not to line up. Shit should be in the manual. Yeah. But despite all that, despite his doubts and the fact that the movie never really, like, lends to that fact, D-Day director trusts him on his word, gets him in the rocket sled, and... His, his like final movement in life, because he gets tagged by these two. His final movement. His final, I mean, there's probably a movement in there, too. He just got <laughs> yeah. shot up. But uh, is to stretch out and push that red button. And so without that happening, Van Damme wouldn't have been able to go back to the past and fix everything. So I'm going to give him my true hero award. With an honorable mention mm. for Mrs. Walker. Oh, okay. Because in that intense scene in the rain when they're both hanging off the roof and the and the smash mouth baddie is stomping on van damme's fingers she grabs the gun and shoots the guy both good ones yeah uh, thank you both in the true nature of what a true hero really is <laughs> what about you man i have a time code true hero oh really so i figured i could pull it up and show you i would love to see as i'm just you probably remember this but i figure i might as well pull it up my true hero is some random tec agent Okay. It, at about 2510, <clears throat> when Macomb is first starting to tour the TEC, he walks in right on the front and center stage of like TEC headquarters. There's a dartboard with Macomb's like campaign picture on it with his oh, mug on yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Filled with darts all over his face. And as Macomb starts to walk through, some random agent is like, oh, shit, I better turn this around. So he grabs the dartboard and flips it over so Macomb can't <laughs> see it. That's my true hero. That's pretty good. He had, uh, I guess he was the only one with a little bit of forethought to turn that thing over. Because, yeah, what would have happened if Macomb had seen that coming into the TEC? It would have been shut down right then. Yeah, I guess he would have You know what? Everyone go home. This place no longer has funding. Yeah, right. Just really taking one for the team to be the guy to stand up and awkwardly turn that thing over. Yeah. I would have probably been running for the hills and not wanted my face seen as he's he's touring. But That's good. Really, really taking one for the team. A real just side character. Yeah, it was probably one of the only, like, I think comedic moments meant for, like, straight up comedy, not like cheesy action stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think with that out of the way, we have the big question, Zach. Yes. Did you find a dish that you would consider appropriate to label this movie? I did. Oh, boy. Well, let's hear it. This movie, for me, there is, man, there is so much 
to not like about it. (laughs) (laughs) But there's also a lot to like about it. But I think what's the really defining feature for me about this movie that I'm going to draw in an allegory to a dish is time travel. It is really, really, really hard to pull off plot-wise. Like, it's just a fucking mess. Sure. Look at Jumper, for example. But I think Jumper tried to take itself actually seriously. This movie didn't. But even in, like, its treatment of time travel, it's just, like, still blew it, even though it wasn't trying to take itself seriously. (laughs) So for me, this movie is, like... Some kind of dessert souffle. Let's say chocolate souffle. Okay. Souffles are not complicated in their composition. They have like five ingredients. It's like egg whites, I think maybe egg yolks, sugar, some other stuff, like cream, I guess, chocolate, whatever, you know, ingredients you want to put in there. But where it gets really difficult is all the little steps of like you need beaten egg whites. And then you'd be beaten to to a certain consistency. Do you beat your egg whites with your fists or your legs? Well, if I'm uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme with my toes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they need to be to a certain consistency. Everything needs to be done just right. If you watch someone make souffle, it looks really easy. But like everything needs to be perfect when you're baking it. It needs to be at the right temperature. You can't barely open the oven and look at it because even that apparently will mess it up. Wow. Have you ever made souffle? I have not. I've made a meringue. Okay. I've never made souffle either. But from what I understand, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way it is. The idea of a souffle is you, when you pull it out of the oven, it's in like a souffle pan and it's supposed to rise and become this kind of fluffy, yeah, desserty light dish that Delicate. Like rises and occupies this deep-ish pan. What happens if you mess up any of these steps is you take it out of the oven and what could happen is like within 30 seconds, it's just... It goes flat. It deflates and it, I mean, it's still tasty. It has all these good tasting ingredients, but it doesn't have that like light, fluffy consistency that souffles are known for. So for me, this is Time Cop is a souffle. It's got the nice, sweet kind of stuff that we're looking for in 90s movies where it's got, you know, decent quotables. It's got like fun, like <laughs> Lego limousines. It's got fun fighting with splits in it. But like it really loses me with the whole, all the time travel inconsistencies where it just asks you to like not look deeper than surface level. And if you serve someone this flat souffle and didn't tell them it was supposed to be a souffle and ask them not to look at it too deeply or at all they would think it probably tastes pretty good <laughs> that's good that's awesome uh what about you mitch man that aligns so well with your uh do you like this movie because i would also if you don't mind me adding on i would also say you could look at your souffle one as it's it's a dessert it's like a guilty pleasure and there are probably out people out <laughs> there who whether or not they can make a souffle love to indulge it once in a while in the same way they might love a bad 90s action movie yeah this movie like could have been a total recall is one of my favorite movies. This movie oh, could yeah. have been a total recall. Like it feels so similar, but there's just it didn't rise. It didn't rise. They yeah. didn't spend enough time on critical parts of the movie. It needed to punch ups in so many different little mm-hmm. places. But I got you. if you like this movie, it's definitely a guilty pleasure. <laughs> I do, yeah. So it's a guilty pleasure for you, it seems. Yeah, I guess so. I, I can I can indulge in a little bit of uh, pork buns. Every once in a while, or pandemic months. Anyway, what is what is your dish, Mitch? Well, mine is uh, bacon jalapeno poppers. Whoa. <laughs> okay. So the reason being, for one, it's jalapenos, right? It's got spiciness in it, and this movie was spicy from the very beginning, because in the first ten minutes we get a sex scene. 
it's fried, right? You fry your bacon jalapeno poppers, which I would say puts it over the top, which this movie tried to do in every way was to go over the top and generally fell flat. And it's filled with cheese. <laughs> the whole thing, this movie through and through from start to finish had terrible one-liners, lots of cheese, but it, it, it knew what it was doing. To add into the spice, had some unnecessary VR nudity. Just that scene easily could have been deleted. Didn't need to be in the movie. And then, as far as the bacon goes, the bacon is Van Damme's legs and buns, <laughs> because they're they're in it throughout. And you know, you just get those little bits that are that are pretty nice when you're biting into those jalapeno poppers. Now, I don't really like jalapeno poppers, but every once in a while, I'll I'll have a few. Like if someone's making them mm. at a party, I've never made jalapeno poppers. I don't plan to. And it's also the sort of thing that like you don't really think about them until someone makes them or you're at a place where they exist in the same way that I'll probably never watch time cop again, unless it's just on somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah. I remember this movie. It's kind of fun. So yeah, that's, that's basically mine. I think, um, I think if we gave our, each other a dish award, you would win this round, my friend. I don't know. You did a pretty dang good job of justifying each ingredient and the <laughs> method of cooking. Sure. Sure. So would you say that this movie is jalapeno poppers that are, done well or are these like poorly made jalapeno poppers well like i said i don't really like jalapeno poppers in the same way this is an objectively bad movie but i'll still have some jalapeno poppers every once in a while and when i eat them i'm like oh these aren't that bad but eh. so they're decently made they're not going to be on a menu at a restaurant so maybe some jalapeno poppers you might find in like dick's last resort or something maybe like the ones that are frozen and you have to bake yourself oh those are really bad <laughs> i mean i shouldn't give it that much that much shit good dish mitch yeah, thank you. Appreciate how do it. we uh, how do we usually end this thing? Well, the first thing we need to do is figure out what movie we're watching next time. That's right. That's right. We'll go ahead and pull up our list. Oh boy, we have what like another twenty five or so in there. We have a list of nineties movies we've been pulling from. We will roll a die and determine which one it'll be. We have twenty eight movies to choose from. All right. Would you like me to do the honors? Go ahead and go for that roll, Mitch. Ba bam. 21. 21. Oh, boy. Oh, he's smiling. What is it? That puts us on The Mummy. No way. Yes. Brendan Fraser? <laughs> yeah. Rachel Weiss. Boy, I am excited for this. Me too. Mummy is one of my favorite 90s movies. Me too. Hell yeah. God, I am excited. Rachel Weiss was like a huge crush, like celebrity crush for me as a kid. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I don't remember knowing her as like, a celebrity, but I remember knowing her as like the girl from the mummy. And she right. Was very yeah. Attractive. Yeah. Married to Daniel Craig. Oh, she is. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It's very appropriate. Cause Brendan Fraser is making a strong comeback. Right Hell now. yeah. It's a great time to do the mummy. <clears throat> Man. I am excited to dish about that. So there you have it viewers. This will be the next movie that we do on the dish, the mummy. So as always, thanks to all of our few viewers <laughs> who help us out by giving us feedback and listening to our pod and, Letting us know what to do next. Hopefully we can have this thing become something a little bit bigger than what it is now. We're going to start releasing our pod soon. Maybe I shouldn't be mentioning that because people that listen to it once it's released will be like, wait, what? Well, I mean, it's kind of interesting to look back as a listener, I guess. That's true. Yeah. So if you're listening to this uh, in the future, we haven't released any pod yet. It's true. We, uh, I think what we've decided to do is 10 episode seasons for each uh, decade, I suppose. We'll do... 10 episodes from the 90s, and then we will probably go to the 80s. Or we might do a second season of 90s, just call it one season. We'll determine at the end. 
you can email us at dishingthroughdecades at gmail.com. That's through, as in the full word, T-H-R-O-U-G-H. Yes. Reach us there. It's uh, Jack Baldwin's email. We're considering making social media accounts if it is warranted when the time comes. Maybe by the time of this release, those will exist. Well, with that, we will see you at the next dish. Join us at the restaurant as we have a very delicious dish for this next movie. We'll see you in the future. Or the past. Bye.